We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. As always, stay tuned to the end of the interview, where I'll give you some actionable insights that I learned from my guest. These insights are also in the show notes, and you can find all of my episodes and all of the show notes at TheEntrepreneurEthos.com. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for the ratings and reviews. Thanks for the emails. Thanks for sharing with all your friends. Thank you, thank you, thank you, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I really appreciate all the feedback. Now, on to my guest for today, Brandon White, whose first venture, Worldwide Angler, was an early internet success, grew into Tidalfish Ventures, and then sold it to a publishing company in 2013. He's been involved with various projects since then and currently hosts the podcast called Build a Business Success Secrets. Brandon's idea for a fishing magazine began when he was a graduate student in psychology living on the Chesapeake Bay. He enjoyed fishing, wanted to share information about the sport. When he found out how much it would cost to put out actual magazine, he turned to the internet, which was just emerging in the mid-1990s, hiring a programmer in working on a spinach farm to pay for it all. He eventually grew the attention of a major investment from Sequoia Capital. Things took off from there, and he built it into a successful online subscription site. Since then, Brandon's been involved with various projects, starting other companies and investing in others. He's used his expertise in business to create a 13-slide business plan. He teaches to aspiring business owners. Most recently, he started a podcast going back to his roots in media, this time sharing his insights and expertise in how to build a successful business. Now, let's get better together. Brandon White, welcome to the podcast. What's happening, man? Thanks for having me on, Jari. I really appreciate it. You know, we were just literally talking about talking a little shop ahead of time, which I always love talking to fellow podcaster and it was the best advice you were giving me or that I'm about to actually continue to uh, going to continue on was you're just like, God, we're having such a great conversation. We didn't hit record yet. So <laughs> boom. Now we hit, hit record, record, man. Just make it happen. 
I love that. I, I think that's going to be a shirt, like hit record, get going. <laughs> just, just start. Just start. I love it. And that's, I think, great advice for entrepreneurs as well, which we will get into your long career and very interesting career. And, and it, just, I don't know where to even start, but as I always like to say, because I always start with the same question because I'm boring that way. Well, um, I think it's good. You got a structure. I like it. Well, and I think it's pretty much a softball question. I don't think anyone can not say, oh, this is how I'm doing what I'm doing today. So I try. Um, I thought it was a loaded question. Loaded question. Well, oh. here's the loaded question. I was like, do you mean what I'm doing today or how I got to be able to do what I'm doing today. Oh, that's no one's asked maybe, me that question before. So maybe I, some, you know, somebody said I overanalyzed that. <laughs> well, I'll tell you the best advice I got was from a business partner that we did not get along in business and it, we sold the company, which was my second company that I sold. And he legitimately, Jari, is the best operations person I have ever met bar none, no questions asked as an operator. Just, I learned, we didn't last that long together. We lasted maybe a year and a half candidly. Um, and, and, but I, his advice to me was, you know, and you, you, you think to yourself, God, you still have so much to learn at any age. I'm not that old. Um, but I'm not 20 anymore. And he said to me, you know, Brandon, sometimes you overthink things too much. If you just got one step out of your own way, you will unleash incredible success. Now, it's hard to take that because it was a tense time and, and, but we had this weird relationship where we could be all about business and really didn't take it personally. If that, that made sense. And I was like, mm -hmm. you know what? I'm going to do that. And since, and I was burnt out after that company and sat on the couch literally for like 12 weeks. And I mean, it's not like me, but I was burned out truly probably diagnosed. I mean, I have a psychology degree diagnosed. Someone would diagnose me as burned out and done because wow. <laughs> I, I sat wow. down, but you know, I thought about it. I got myself back together. Um, one day at a time and got my energy back. It wasn't that I was, you know, I was just worn out and done and didn't know what I was going to do next. And, um, but I said, you know, just get out of your own way. So, you know, I could answer the question how I got here going back. I, I could answer the question, like how I got here right now, or we could go back to how I was even able to get here. So, I, you know. Well, I mean, this is the beauty of, of, of live conversations where we don't script anything. <laughs> no, there's no script for your no listeners. Script. We have no script. In yeah. fact, this is the no first idea. time you and I met. It is. It is. And it's been, it's been great so far. So, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll leave it a little bit up to you. I think the thing that people really love about this question and why, why I like to say it is, one, warm up who you are, whatever. And two, people can kind of take from it what they want to take from it. One of the things I think is powerful about it is what you're doing today is usually built on what you've done in the past and the zigs and zags, the mistakes, the learnings. So I think from a perspective of 
what you're doing today with your business, like your day job or whatever, whatever, how that evolved. And so I think that's prop. that's, if, if it was me, if someone asked me that question, that's how I would answer it. Well, uh, yeah, I, I think that you, I'll, I'll answer that. And I got started as an entrepreneur, if you will, which I, I hate that word. I don't know about you. I, I, don't, I don't like, I don't like this. And maybe because it's being too overused, or maybe I look at the internet too much over the last two and a half decades, but I think it's overused. I don't think you get to use that. I think it's, ins- I'm insulted. I was trying to, I wrote this, I've been writing this piece to try to work through this, uh, through this visual reaction that I'm having to this word entrepreneur. And, and I think it's because there's a lot of people out there that believe that if they have an idea and they think it's a good idea that they call themselves an entrepreneur and now they're like on par with Steve Jobs and all all the great entrepreneurs and right. and that they're entitled to this success and you know clearly hit a trigger when we talk about it for me. <laughs> I but, mean, you know, the, the podcast is the entrepreneur ethos. So <laughs> yeah, right. I, I, I know. The word. <laughs> so so but it it makes me angry because it's as if maybe as a true business owner, I feel like our craft it's just not that simple. Right. Like, it's just not that simple. You just don't get to come up. Like, there's a million ideas, man. Like, I mean, there's a million ideas. Ideas don't, I'm not saying they don't matter. I'm saying the good idea isn't the, isn't the gold star that you get in fourth grade. Like, there's no gold star for that. The gold star is you actually executed against that idea and turned an idea into a project that turned into a more serious project that eventually someone pays you money for that becomes a business. Mm -hmm. And I think that part of it uh, cheapens it, but uh, that was a total rant on, on that, but maybe. (laughs) Well, my, my philosophy is ideas are worthless. Execution is what matters because I have tens of great ideas a day, but if they never see the light of day, are they really good ideas? That's kind of my, you know, tree falling in the woods analogy. <laughs> That's a little well, bit. Snarky. I think I have 352 great <laughs> ideas called domain names that I have currently. Oh, <laughs> oh, you're one of those. Oh. I am. But I made money trading domain names back in the day. So I'm. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, that was, but no, no, it's my, I mean, I'll, I'll fully admit it. I got 352. I, it might even be more now. I don't know. I used to have like a thousand domains. I started cutting them down because I was like, eh, that's a bad idea. Um, but I got started early in my 20s, mainly because I was completely lost. And I grew up with a single mom who really had busted her rear to make sure that my brother and I had good education. And we went to private school, private schools, and we went to good colleges. And, you know, we were, we were brought up to get good grades. And I played sports and between good grades and sports, you you can get scholarships. And I got a few scholarships to go to college. And um, I didn't know what I was going to do. Candidly, I told people that I was going to become a lawyer because my grandfather had a, a law firm and was a a, a well known lawyer in 
in Baltimore and Maryland and had been in national politics and at the White House and things like that. And I just told people, to be honest, that I was going to become a lawyer because what I realized is as soon as you say that, everybody shuts up and stops asking you questions. But I didn't do anything to become a lawyer in college. I was a psychology major. I loved it. I was really good at it. I was a president of the Psychi National Honor Society. I was a sociology minor, which has it's not your typical track. Like you should be political science or even I learned this morning that physics is actually the number one accepted major into law schools, which probably makes sense in the sense of logic and how things are designed and, and physics. And, huh? huh. Yeah, physics. Wow. Talk to this woman who's like, not like she's really wicked smart. She was a physics major, math minor with a, Degree, a dual degree in drama as well. I mean, really smart. Wow. Really, yeah, really I mean, smart. I, uh, you know, I have an electrical engineering degree, so I had to take a lot of physics. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. And I could, I couldn't, I, I don't know. I just, hmm. Interesting that physics and lawyers, that just to me just does not make sense. <laughs> but I guess from a, from a logic, I was trying to understand that. But the long and short of it is, I, I just said it. I didn't do anything, I didn't intern. I didn't do anything like that. I worked on a tree nursery during the summer because I liked being outside. And that's what I did. And then I graduated from college. I went back. I didn't know I, the law school thing didn't work out. I have dyslexia. I'm a straight A National Honor Society student guy who I'm, I was really glad to hear they did away with the SATs. But I, I didn't even break a thousand on my SATs. But, you know, I graduated second in my class in high school. I was first junior year. I think lacrosse had something to do with that second place uh, in senior <laughs> year. And then I was National Honor so- uh, Society in college and the president of the Psychi National Honor Society. And, you know, I couldn't test worth anything. So the LSTATs were tough. And to be candid, looking back on it, as I reflected, you know, I think you can look back as I think people who say you shouldn't look back, you know, you should only look forward. I think you should look back, but but you don't get to stare. And as long Mm. as you don't stare, Mm. then you build on that. So as I look back on that part of my life, I, I think I just didn't try because I not really was in, wasn't really in my heart or in, wasn't something that I, I don't know. It just wasn't there. So I went back, I was working on a tree nursery and my mom, to her credit, she could, you know, I moved back home at that time and she probably as a single mom who had busted her butt to make sure that we had the best said, Eh, probably not going to let my son get off track here. You know, he needs to get, go somewhere. And thank God she did that. And she said, look, just go back to school. I do not care what degree you get. Uh, Just go back to school because that academic situation, I'm not saying this for everyone, but what her advice to me was, it's a great place where you're exposed to so many different things. You're getting something that will be worth something. So I went back and got a master's in psych um, and started a company I was fishing, lived in the water. I was really lucky. I lived on a creek off the Chesapeake Bay and I would drive to school every day. But um, I wanted to print a fishing magazine because there was no fishing magazines for light tackle or fly fishermen in the Chesapeake Bay that that was up to the what my vision was or or what type of technical information I wanted. And I decided that I was going to print a newsletter. I think I had 800 and 800 bucks in my 
written down savings account back in the day in that little book, if you remember that piece. Oh of yeah. I had one of those. I had one of those. Yeah. yeah. There you go. So I had 800 bucks and I went to the local printer and I, I basically was like, Hey, I want to print a magazine. You know, the guy was very nice and it's a college town. So he's probably used to college students being ambitious and, you know, proceeded to ask me 59 questions that I had no answer to and scared the crap out of me and realized I had no money, enough money to print a magazine, much less anything to do. So I was like, you know what? Fine. Um, went back and there was this thing called the internet that I was playing around with. I graduated college in 94 and I, the internet was around and I was, and I had done programming on a Commodore VIC-20 and 64, self-taught engineer. And I, I'm using the word engineer lightly because it would be insulting, but I could, I could write code. And um, I was like, you know, why couldn't I just put a magazine online? This is 1996, 1997. I'm back working on my master's degree. And just started hanging out in the computer lab, found the smartest kid, realized that I couldn't. And, and I went to Washington College, which is a small liberal arts school in, in Maryland for my undergraduate. And I got a master's from there and then later got an MBA from UNC Chapel Hill, which I wanted to go to an ACC school so I could watch good basketball, which we did win Tar Heels 2005. But um, <laughs> when, I, when I graduated, but great writing school. I wrote all through college. My mom was did seven books and was a writer. And, um, I couldn't do it all. So I recruited this kid, convinced him to come on board, told him I would pay him more than the computing lab, went and got a job on a spinach farm, basically being a do it all. I was helping with run their finance books. Uh, I was getting cheesesteaks for them for lunch. I was, you know, I was doing accounting. I was, helping them on board meetings because it's a, this was a very large spinach growing. So not, this isn't just a 50 acre farm. This is thousands of acres of spinach, one of the biggest spinach growers in the United States. And I got that job. I worked there to pay this guy and we put the magazine online and within a few months, um, eh, you know, looking back what I, on the timeline, it was a few months, but we got written up in a magazine. It was, called Chesapeake Bay Magazine. And wow. I was like, there could be something to this. Like, you know, this internet thing, this is cool. It's free. It wasn't free. We were, I don't, I, don't, I use the word stealing loosely, but. <laughs> <laughs> you, you were, you know, I, I understand. Well, you're, a, you know, if you're a student somewhere and you're experimenting, I don't, I wouldn't call it stealing. Right. I mean, that's what the <laughs> academics did. We were jacking. I mean, look, we were jacking the college internet for free. We were using the server to host our site, which we had somewhat right to, maybe not commercially. Right. And we were using the internet offline. I mean, it was dial-up modems anyway, but yeah, we were sucking down a lot of bandwidth. But we did that and I read, I still do, every morning. And back then when I was in school, I would go to the library and read, I'd read three newspapers and whatever magazine came out. Just, I just always consuming information. And I read an article in the front of Time Magazine, which back in the day, which you'll probably remember, Jari, they had a column in the front that had new and noteworthy, cool stuff. It was like the beginning yeah. of, of yeah. that tech stuff. And 
I, I, I'll never forget it. I tell this story a lot because it, it was that it was really pivotal for me. I read an article that said, talking about David Philo and Jerry Yang building a phone book for the internet mm-hmm. and that they had raised, I think 1.75 or there about million from a firm called Sequoia Capital, which I had never heard of at that moment in time. Very famous now. Yeah. yeah it's famous, a little famous back then too, but. They, they, they've always been, I mean, they are arguably, you know, you can, you can have a debate over. A, a I would say Kleiner Perkins and them tier one pretty much formed the backbone of venture capital. And I'm sure, you know, somebody will give me a, hard I mean, time. They're, they're, Frank, Frank Bonzel from NEA on the East coast yeah, did, did right. do that. And he was actually one of my investors, which we'll get to, believe it oh, or not. Cool. cool. Um, awesome. Small world, but yeah. he, um, I went back with that article to this guy who I called my co-founder and I was like, Hey, we're going to raise money. And he said, we have no idea how to raise money. (laughs) And I said, you are absolutely right about that. I mean, and, and to put this in context, right? So this is like 96, 97. Yep. So the internet literally DARPAnet, ARPANET or whatever. I mean, Still dial-up modem, still American online, still AOL, comp, AOL right? CompuServe, little chat rooms, Prodigy. dial-up modem. Yeah, Prodigy. You get the little disc in the little magazine. I mean, this there is no real infrastructure for this at all. And I remember because I used to was similar. Like I, I had a VIC twenty Commodore sixty four. My first actual paying job was to build this little. Um, software selector thing for a Commodore 64 for IBM. And I got paid for it. And it's just this crazy thing. And, but these dial up BBS, that's the like infancy, the, the amount of technical chops and the amount of things that have to line up to get these sort of things to work back then is monumental. <laughs> so this is like, this is the Genesis of the internet. Literally you were at ground zero which is so cool because I remember some of those sites back then. And they're like, if you go look at the original space jam site, <laughs> it's like that kind of stuff. Um, so go on. <laughs> yeah, we're, we were, we, we were writing flat file HTML in notepad. Yeah. yeah. I mean, literally. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we were doing server side includes so that we didn't have to, redo the bottom of the page navigation. I mean, this, yeah, it was, uh, it was a really cool time. It's like literally bailing wire and duct tape holding it together. And you just, you just hope that, that it yeah, doesn't. I think I like, bought like three megs from Errol's for our, our, for our website at one point for a thousand dollars. I mean, three megs, like what is, what is that? Like on the, I don't even know. I probably have three megs in this coffee mug now. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. So I went back and I said, hey, we're going to raise money. He said, no way. Um, I said, fine, no way. Doesn't mean anything to me. We, I got a business plan book. I got in my now wife's Acura Integra. We drove to Annapolis, Maryland. We were living on the East Coast at the time. Went to Barnes & Noble or Borders. I can't remember picked out some random, I couldn't figure out the book. I got stuck there. And my wife's like, there's a book. I still have it on my bookshelf. I've saved it. It still has the original tags that I had in there. It was uh, how to build a business plan. She's like, well, let's just get that. 
you know, this goes to something I said about just getting out of my own way. I was like, yep, that's it. Let's buy that. Went home, read it, built a business plan, old school, 50 some pages, yeah. written crap. And I, in my either naivety or ignorance or just pure will to succeed, looked up Sequoia Capital's address and put my business plan in and addressed it to Mike Mortz and said, we're good. <laughs> wow. Now that is some cojones. <laughs> my I FedExed it. Oh, I mean, well, I told the oh, FedEx oh, trick, right? I like, mean, yeah. And back then FedEx, I mean, that was FedEx was in its infancy. Like nobody, well, FedEx overnight, who would need that? You know? Wow. So man, thinking, thinking we're like, how can this guy not invest in us? Like fishing is yeah. a huge market. Sure. It really is a huge market. I think it's 50 billion plus now in the United States. It's got 55 million people fish. Um, people in saltwater spend over $1,500 a year. I mean, these are real consumers who spend money. It's a very fragmented, which we can talk about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, in, in 96, I think I saw a slide in 96, it was 32 billion. That's correct. I don't know how you remember that, but it was, it was 32 billion. I was, I was looking through your little history and I was just fascinated by $32 billion fishing market in 1996. Do you know what, how people would give their left arm in the SaaS business for a billion dollar market? (laughs) You've got in 96, which is, you know, 25 years ago, it's, $32 $32 billion in fishing. Yeah, like crazy market. And the consumers we were going after were salt water. These people were buying back then a $50,000 truck, a $75,000 yeah. center console. I mean, yeah. these are consumers who are willing to, to spend money. So I, I wrote that, obviously didn't get an answer back, but um, started just cold calling, saw a guy who was an alumni of Washington College, said he was an investor or getting into investing, I wrote him, explain what we were doing. And uh, actually, he was interested. He had lunch with a guy and comes back from the lunch and says, I had an email, hey, Brandon, I met a guy that you probably want to talk to. I didn't give him your name, but I will tell you he uses your site. We were talking about investing and these things. And as a side conversation, we said, what do you do? And we started talking about fishing. And I brought up that I was looking at you and your partner who were doing this fishing fishing thing. And he asked the name at the time, it was called Worldwide Angler. And he said he uses the site all the time and he actually wants to meet you. And I think you should meet this guy, <laughs> right? So I was like, okay. I said, I got no problem. Give him our information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two hours later, I get an email. Hey, this is Tom. You might know me or the, my firm. Um, I was a managing partner at Sequoia Capital, and we did companies like Apple, Cisco, Yahoo. So you can imagine a kid, I'm calling myself a kid, a young man in my 20s, sitting there receiving this email from at that. At, I had already done the research. Um, you know, we're skipping some parts here, but I, yeah, I yeah. realized who Sequoia was at this point, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. They're the yeah. only original investor in Cisco. I mean, just you could ride your coattails on that forever. Yeah. Not yeah, to yeah. mention Yahoo starts in their conference room. They do Google, they do YouTube. I mean, the list goes on and on. Yeah, yeah. Big 
they've they've rejected more successes as well. I mean, they're they're incredible at what they do. Right. And so I, in disbelief, basically say, Oh, it's great to meet you. I'd love to meet you. Here's my address in Easton, Maryland. Come on out. He said, I'll be there tomorrow. I said, I'll see you then. <laughs> I mean, you know, this is, this. you can't make this up. <laughs> no. He shows up on my doorstep the next morning. I let him into my house. My wife and I lived in a, oh God, maybe 1400 square foot. I mean, I'm not complaining. We, our, our life was great. We never complained. We were grateful for what we had. Uh, life was a lot easier, I think, in a smaller house than, than in a bigger one. And right. he shows up, comes in and he's like, Oh, Hey, nice to meet you. Da, da, da. He says, can we go to the office? I said, sure thing. Let's go upstairs. And he sort of gave me this look and we walk upstairs. These old creaky, my house, that house is, is we still own it. It was built in 1920 going up these creaky, uh, slow grown, uh, pine steps, which is really hard to find now. But anyway, we go up there creaking and I said, here it is. And I had, you know, home office and had a whiteboard and he looked around and he said, is this it? Now, at this point, my temperature went up maybe 50 degrees. My face probably turned red. The pit of my stomach is just churning because I'm pretty feeling embarrassed at this point. Like, hey, dude, if you expected to come to some bigger office, yeah, this is it. So I said, hey, look. I'm really sorry. You you obviously came from Washington, D.C., which is about 70 miles and uh, across the Bay Bridge. And I'm really sorry, but this is this is it, man. Like, if you want to see something else, my partner's got a spare bedroom down the road and we can check out his office, too. Um, but this is it. If you're not interested, I totally get it, man. And he says, calm down. <laughs> he said, this is how we found Cisco, Brandon. Yeah. They were building routers in their, in their living room. And that is, and he was there. So, you know, this is true story. So I was like, all right, well, he said, I just thought you were bigger. You've got this phone system thing, the automated response. I mean, going back to what you were saying earlier, Jari, we, we had a duct tape, like it was duct tape. We had, it was, it was, I don't even know if it was duct tape. It might've been masking tape. Like it wasn't even that strong, but it worked. Yeah. And um, yeah, yeah. I was like, hey, we could start talking. And, and then I, we go to lunch. And he said, well, well, tell me your business plan. I said, well, let me, when we go back to the house, I'll get you this 50 page. He's like, no, 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 no. Flips over the placemat and gets his pen out. I'll never forget because his pens, I'm still, he, he, he's really become like a dad to me, believe it or not. He, we're best friends now. Uh, this is, you know, whatever year decades later. Um, and we've had really great experiences, but I'll never forget. He has, he uses these pens that, that have that really strong ink. So it's not a ballpoint pen. It's sort of a felt pen. So it runs a little bit on a place. It's kind of like a Sharpie, but yeah, Yeah, exactly. And, um, and he starts, he's like, tell me. And it, and his, his, his equation was people, uh, people, product, market, and financing. That what, was the formula. And we were just filling in the blanks for him. And then he was 
drawing the business plan and making notes on market and stuff. And uh, I said, hey, you want to go fishing? (laughs) (laughs) So he folds up this placemat, puts it in his pocket. He's like, yeah. So I, we drive not a few blocks home. I hook up. I had a 21 foot Parker center console. It was, uh, I think it was early winter. So it was a little bit cold, but we fished during those times and we caught a lot of fish and hooked up the boat, went to the ramp, went out and just tore up fish all afternoon. And we're coming home and he said, well, how much money do you have in the bank? And I said, well, I honestly do not know. And he said, why wouldn't you know the answer to that question, Brandon? And I said, well, we trade stocks to fund the company. And he said, what? <laughs> he, he said, he said, what? You trade stocks with the company money. Well, yeah. Brandon, Brandon, Brandon. <laughs> Brandon, Brandon, Brandon. <laughs> yeah, we were trading stocks. I was like, eh, we could have 3,000 or we could have 20. I don't know what my partner did today, but depends on the trades were. And now we were building, truth be told, we were building websites for people, but you got to understand that back then, and you understand this, to try to convince a business that they needed a website, they were like, why would I need a website, Brandon? I need to advertise in the local paper or the local rag or whatever. Yellow pages. Yeah, yellow Regis McKenna, the famous, you know, marketeer that marketed for Apple and all these other companies, he had a fund. I think it was Regis McKenna Ventures or something. And his famous advice all back then, the 80s, 90s, famous marketing advice was make sure that your company name starts with an A so that it's high up in the yellow page. Or 1A. Or 1A. That was the the sage that was his sagely. I mean, uh, it, I, I, a little, it's funny because I actually got to meet him. I actually pitched my company to him at one point, but like, Oh, you're the start with an a guy <laughs> in the internet. Like doesn't matter what your name starts with. I mean, some people still have that kind of, you know, whatever, but wow. So, so- so, so, just, I, so I just yeah. told the, I just told the truth, man. And we were, we were trading stocks. That's how we were living. I mean, wow. I'm not, and, and I'm not suggesting to anyone listen, any of your listeners that you do that. I'm just saying that's what we did. Yeah. And I paid credit cards with credit cards and I did all that. And it, it was stressful, but yeah. it worked. And so he looks at, you know, he looks at me at this point and I was like, well, you know, got to meet this, the guy from Sequoia. This guy, <laughs> this is over <laughs> original partner. I mean, it yeah. was him, Doug Leone, mm-hmm. Tom, Doug Leone, Mike Moritz, Tom Stevenson. I think four of those were associates. And I think it was Don Valentine yeah, and Pierre awesome. were the, and there was maybe another older partner in that early generation of Sequoia. Yeah. And, and but, but it was, and Doug obviously still runs the, the place and Mike, I think is still there. I think Tom Stevenson's there and Tom retired, but that, that is like, this is, this is real Silicon Valley. And and for a kid originally from the East coast, I mean, this is, I, to be honest with you, man, I would have been good. 
Like that, I went fishing with the guy. Like, that, you know. so he. I've got the story. That's all I need. Yeah, yeah, right. Like, I got it. Like, I don't. At this point, eh, let's we'll, we'll we'll keep trading and building. But anyway, he pulls out. I see him doing something, but I'm concentrating because I'm pulling a boat. And, you know, it's a big. Uh, it's not a huge boat, but you got to be careful driving on the highway. And I see him writing something. And I was like, oh man. And I look over, and it's a checkbook, a ratty ass checkbook with the back all messed up and he rips this thing and hands it over to me and he gives me a check for $50,000 and he said, let's go kid. And that is how we got started. Wow. And then probably, wow, (laughs) probably, probably five months later, I went over, I went west on the Bay Bridge, the Chesapeake Bay Bridge, with whatever we had left over from that fifty thousand dollars. Oh, he he did tell me we could not trade anymore. <laughs> could not trade company money. Yeah, which seemed like a fair request. Yeah, it and, seems like a, the adult thing to do. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I conceded that. that <laughs> You're like, yep, yep, good, good, we're good. Yeah, we're good. Um, drove over the Bay Bridge with not as much money and drove home with a million dollars, and that's how we got started. And, you know, it wasn't, that was, it was an incredible ride. We had incredible investors and incredible support. I think the market was there. We were early. I made some terrible mistakes. I listened to the investors and pushing us to grow when we shouldn't have grown. We should have, I don't mean grown. We should have owned our local market before we expanded, but there was, there was a story back then that you had to grow that fast. And you know, we were, I mean, Jeff Bezos sent me a t-shirt. I mean, I was one of the original Amazon associates, literally back when he started that program in 1996 or 97. And we built a bookstore and we were making a lot of money just in the bookstore. And, you know, it was just an incredible time to to have experienced that. And And it was a small community. You know, you could email someone like Jerry Yang and they're yeah, going to email, email you back. back. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't a, it wasn't even cool. I mean, we were more geeks doing something stupid that looked like we were wasting money. I mean, really? Um, yeah. I mean, back then it was all about eyeballs. I remember Andy Grove, the famous speech was like, we're all about eyeballs. And you're like, what do you mean you make chips? He's like, we just need to get people to like, look at the web and look at this content because back then no one knew. I mean, no one, no one really knew how big the internet was going to be. Everyone knew that they had to, it had to be built out, like even commerce, like taking a credit card over the internet back then, never, you couldn't do it. I mean, it was like, here, send the check. <laughs> and, and we did. Yeah, I mean, we did crazy stuff. Yeah. We had a credit card processor. I think I got, I feel like I, we got raped. I mean, it was so expensive, but that's just what you did. So um, we did, we made a bunch of mistakes and, then we got sued and the internet, cr- the market crashed in 2001 mm-hmm. and me either out of sure, sheer will, stupidity, pride, stubbornness, whatever you want to call it, bought most of the assets back from the investors and restarted it in less than 12 weeks. We were profitable and I ran it as a cash cow for over a decade. And then um, I, I sold that company in 2000 and 
eight, I want to say, to a, a really large media company in Canada that was doing a roll-up strategy that came from the print, one of the biggest uh, publishers in Canada, and they were moving over into a digital strategy to aggregate community sites because we had an online community, a very strong online community. We made 33, uh, 30% of our revenue came from subscriptions, which I proved that you could do back then and people said you couldn't. Uh, 30% was from advertising and 30% was from our own products. It's basically what the Strava model is now. And, mm. and you can make a lot of money with that once you have a strong community. But I ran it as a cash cow. I was a venture capitalist. I actually worked at America Online uh, in the original marketing analysis. We were really the first big data division of any internet company. Um, wow. I was a venture capitalist for two firms. And then I really was an entrepreneur at heart. I used the money from this quote unquote side hustle to fund a whole bunch of ideas. And then I started some other uh, some companies subsequent to that. And then um, I sold a one of them, which was it, it it wasn't a win, it was a save, if you if you will. It was with the founder I was talking about. And we we learned a tremendous amount. We just didn't agree on and he had he had much more success. Success meaning his bank account's bigger than mine, but, <laughs> I, but, but, you know, I, I think anybody would be grateful for any, any, anything we had, but right. uh, he, he had made more money. And, you know, in my opinion, he had forgotten that you got to start in the garage and you got to stay cheap and small as fast as possible. Some of his points were absolutely valid that you had to look bigger in the market. We were in the government contracting space mm. and you can't look like you're in the garage, but um, not at all. But, you know, it was just, it was just one of those things. And, and we got out of it and, you know, I give him credit because it wasn't all me. He, he got us to a sale and that company is going, is doing, doing well. And I think they'll continue to do well and make a bunch of money in the end. But um, I went out and uh, just really been doing angel investing and starting my own companies. Um, I, I think you have more control over that. And, and where I am today is, I'm going to bring back to what you, when we got on, you said, well, I don't have a lot of coaches on. I think I had a very immediate reaction. You had a pretty visceral, yeah, you had a pretty visceral reaction to that. (laughs) I'm not a coach. And I, and the reason I say that is what happened was, was that some guys, and I taught for the guys on Shark Tank, I uh, taught how to build a business plan in 13 slides for Damon John, Robert Heldicek, and Grant Cardone, who's a online, I don't know what you call them, real estate guy. And um, really great people. And I had come up with a way to build a business plan in 13 slides based on all these years of either investing or pitching and figuring out. I took what Peter Thiel, I took what all Sequoia said, Peter Thiel, I've taken, I analyzed all this stuff, overanalyzed it, then took my own piece you know, I'm more, I'm a Bruce Lee guy. So it's really Jeet Kune Do, absorb what is useful, discard what is not, add what is yep. uniquely your own. Yep. And I came up with this 13 slides and it works. Like I've given these 13 slides to a person who has no business raising money, followed the script and raised money. I mean, you know, I, I took a look at it before <laughs> we got on and it's, yeah, it's, it works. It's, I mean, it's, it's not pretty spot on. I mean, it's the similar to, to the kind of one I have. I think mine's 14 slides, but yeah, like, you know. But, but but that's really the, the the what I found, 
And I came up with this thing, right? 13 original colony, all the <laughs> 13 pieces of reeds on the back of a dollar bill. Yeah. Know, well, you know, dollars. it's the marketing. You got to do that too. <laughs> right. So I did that. And then um, I really missed, you know, I was working in the government space. I really missed online. I really missed the internet. And I said, well, I'm going to get back. I'm going to do my own podcast. Some stuff happened to that company that ran all of that stuff. And it was either I was going to just do something else or, or I was going to do my own thing. And I was like, I want to get, I love, I love radio. I love podcasting. You know, we were doing podcasting back in 98 or 97 for the mere fact as I was getting tired of writing 4,000 word fishing report articles and I could record it. I mean, and we, it wasn't a podcast, it wasn't even called podcasting. It was just an audio file. But, right. um, so I went back on and I did that. And then I got caught up a little bit in the hype I was like, I'm going to sell online course. And I feel like there's a lot of people who aren't qualified to be teaching online courses and that there's a lot of people calling themselves coaches that aren't qualified. And I don't think they understand the responsibility. Now I have a master's in psychology with a concentration in counseling. Like, there's some fiduciary, if you will, or whatever oh, yeah. duty that if you're going to coach someone, you're messing with someone's life. Agreed. And, you know, I get it. You want to be an online marketer and I get it. You want to, you know, you want to make the quick buck and you apparently can be an online marketer and get a G5. I only know maybe one who actually has done that, but apparently, you know, you can do that all the time. I'm half joking, but uh, it's hard. And so I didn't really want to be a coach. And what I what I found out through a lot of introspection and just putting my podcast out there and I was writing and I didn't want to write a blog again. And um, what I came back to is I really want to publish a print newsletter. Mm. And I started writing a print newsletter. And I got it wrong first. We've been at it about 15 months, 14 months. I got it wrong because I was I was so excited about marketing again that I started writing with a marketing slant. And then one day I read my own newsletter and I was like, this, this just doesn't add value. I want to write something that I want. That's yeah. how I built my first company. I built a fishing site as an yeah. enthusiast that I wanted. Right, right. Cause you were a fisherman. Yeah. Right. I mean, like, that's like I, my friend, Phil Hughes, he did a fishing app cause he's a big fisherman. He just. And, and so I started writing, itch. so I started writing this thing on mind, body business really with, and that was wrong. Cause I got that wrong too, because that's what, that doesn't, that doesn't say the result that says what we do, which is the wrong way of marketing. Right. But really what we do is we make, we write a newsletter. It's 16 to 21 pages uh, a month. On to make you happier, healthier, and richer. And the bonus is you're smarter. And and we reveal exactly what we do in this thing called build a business. And um, I couldn't be more excited about what we what we do there. I've been involved. I got a security company, and I've done some stuff in real estate and construction still. But really, you know, my passion is uh, in my spare time because I don't have any kids. Is I just love publishing this. Like I get more excited about it every time I write it. And 
you know, I realized that for many years, entrepreneurs don't even know how to spend the money that they make. Mm. Like, but not only spend it, but I say spend it, not spend it or invest it. Invested. You know, we're taught to build these ventures, but we're not taught, well, what is what is a ETF strategy? What is a stock strategy? What where do you do you know that you should only be investing 7% of your total money in alternative investments of which venture capital and six other things are part of? Like yeah. you know, and I was just lucky to hang out with people who are really successful over the years that have taught me these these lessons. And I was like, I'm already doing this. Let's just help other people that can get value. You know, one of the things that I want too is you hear all these stories about, well, if you do Facebook marketing this way, well, show me your numbers. Like, show me your back end. And that's what we do. You know, we send, I don't know, um, you know, what we send an email list three times a week says 20, 40, 60, 60 done. We spend... 250, 300 to 400,000 emails a month, what A-B tests are working, right? Mm. And we show these things so that you can take these things and actually apply them to your business to make more money. That to me was always the most valuable things that I've found. You know, getting pumped up and rah-rah and motivation. Important, important. It's important, but it, like motivation falls, behavior stops. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you can make it easy for people, then that behavior will become a habit. Right. And right, 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 right. right. And um, for sure, for sure. So when you said that was a really long way of saying, <laughs> how, how did I get here and what am I doing? I'm not a coach, but here's the deal: what I what you do get when you buy the newsletter. This is like shameless self promotion, but it it is really what I love. I mean, it's an entrepreneur show, so selfishly promote all you want. <laughs> so with the newsletter, what you what I realized is I didn't want to sell courses because I felt like it made me. And this is I take responsibility for feeling like this. This this may not be true. Mm-hmm. but I own it. I didn't want to be put into that category. It, and if I'm going to teach, I'm going to teach at a university level and, and do that. Um, I, this isn't, you know, I'll probably get like 50 million emails. Like Man, you're hating on, you're hating on people that they don't have to have degrees and all this crap. You don't, you don't. You don't. And there's a lot sure. of legitimate people, but there's also a lot of marketers have ruined the market. Yeah. Agreed. That, that I think is the most important thing and and I think the lesson in all of this as a startup, an expert, you know, like I do PR and marketing for, for startups and nonprofits and especially tech startups. And when they're trying to be, you know, subject matter experts and thought leaders and all these sort of things. And some of them are, you know, like, well, you're 25 or 30. It's a little bit harder from a credibility point of view, but you have a voice. You just have to, you, it's funny because it's, you know, you can learn from anyone and people, of course, no matter what age you are. I mean, this is what this show's about as well. It's like, I talk to all sorts of entrepreneurs. I learned something from everyone, but there's a credibility gap. And then there's a, how you present yourself. And then there's your, what you're called your ethos or your bona fides. That's part of the entrepreneur ethos is the ethos being the top of the top. You always want to do more than just ethics. You want to like get to the highest level. So what are the exemplars in the entrepreneur world? 
that's the ethos. Like these are the people, right? So, so some of the people, all those people you mentioned in venture capital, what you did and all that is the bona fides that say, you know, uh, I can touch, I can trust Brandon that he knows what he's doing <laughs> or yeah, at least to a first order. Right. Yeah. You don't have to agree. And I'm not always right. Right. But, but I do. My perspective comes from experience. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's, um, I think that's the, you know, the part that just rubs me and look, you know, online marketers are going to ruin everything eventually. So you, you got to just stay ahead of it. I've seen it. They, they ruin the website making market. They, yeah. you know, sold people things that were five pages that, you know, my nephew at 13 could build. And, yeah. and, and I think that, that just happened. That's just life. Like anything that appears to make money. But I think that, I think it's misleading to some young people out there and, and not just young people. There's, there's people in their sixties who are becoming entrepreneurs or, you know, starting yeah. their own business. I, I met a guy, he was at an entrepreneur summit and I was like, Hey, what's your background? He's like, Oh man, I was a McDonald's franchisee. And I was like, huh? Well, tell me more of that, that. Well, I worked at McDonald's for 20 years, had a career there. Then I figured out that all these people who owned the McDonald's were making all this money. So yeah, you know, I got 25 McDonald's. <laughs> 25. Oh I mean, it was, it was a lot of That's McDonald's. A lot. That's a lot. Yeah. And then he sold them. If it was 10, it was still like, they print money. That's a million dollars a year over yeah, in free easily. cash flow. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and, and he's out being an entrepreneur. So I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to say young people are, are only entrepreneurs. You can be old and, and still be an entrepreneur, but I think it's misleading to think that it's that easy or that simple and going back to where we started with, you know, why that word entrepreneur sort of bothers me. I, I said this to, I had this conversation with my, with my EA is really like chief of staff and everything else keeping me together. And she said, well, yeah, of course you don't like that, Brandon. And I was like, well, what do you mean? Chia? She's like, by very nature of an entrepreneur, you're, you're rebellious. You're a rebel. You don't want to be categorized. You don't, you don't, you know, I never, in, if you ask me what I did, I'm like, like, oh, I'm a business owner. I run a business. I'm like, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. Like anybody who says that at the dinner table with a bunch of, at least my friends who are business owners, you know, it's like, we roll your eyes. Tell us more about that. It, it, you know, gotta like, back it up. If it, you're going to, if you're going to use the E word, <laughs> like, back it up. <laughs> tell me, tell me about that. Yeah, I, and, tell me about it. Yeah. Tell me about that. What does that mean? And so, I think, uh, and when she explained it to me and, and she didn't miss a beat, sorry, she was like, boom. Yeah, of course you don't like that. You do what you want, when you want, you set your own goals. And I was, I said, ah, oh, that's why. So I've been using the word business owner more because, um, I think that, that more, it gives more of a separates people who identify differently. I just, I've never heard my friends say, yeah, I'm an entrepreneur. I think other people get the analogy that I wrote about actually in the newsletter, in the editor part this week, this week, uh, this month was that you don't get to say that you're innovative. Only other people get Mm. to say that you're innovative. Mm. So if you're an entrepreneur, I don't think you get to say you're an entrepreneur. I think other people decide based on your behavior that you're an entrepreneur and that's how that works. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting idea. Interesting idea. So Brandon, what, what do you think you would, after we've gone through this whole 
process. We we know exactly you were at the beginning of the internet, <laughs> which is awesome. What so what what's the advice you'd give then to these young? Okay, I'm going to say business owner, potential entrepreneur, potential uh, yeah. business owner. <laughs> what, what what would you say the next generation coming up? Because I mean, we we as the older generation, sort of the uh, crazy Uncle Brandon, crazy Uncle Jari. <laughs> you know, what, what advice would you give them? I, I'm going to give some advice contrary to what is popular opinion. Those are the best kind. Those are the best kind. Popular opinion says, do what you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. And I actually don't think you should use that as the way to decide what you're going to do. I believe that you should figure out what you're really good at and enjoy. I don't know if it's your passion or not, but what are you really great at doing? And do that to make money. And then I'm not saying do something you hate. Don't... I don't want any of your listeners to think that I'm giving advice like, well, I absolutely hate going to work. Don't do that. But but figure out what you're good at. Really understand yourself. And then go do that. And if you're going to be a business owner or an entrepreneur and and or 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 this, they're really the same, but if you're going to do that, then do what you're good at. And hire the very best people. I, you know, as an early entrepreneur, business owner, whatever you want to call me, you know, I always felt like, oh, that was too expensive, or that person's going to hire the greatest people you can to fill your weakness. And don't try to spend an enormous amount of time filling in your weakness, but be great at what you're great at. So, and that to me, is the success is the is been the formula for success. When I tried to be, when I tried to spend time getting better at the things that I was weak at, I didn't see the same sort of success had I put that energy into what I'm good at and understanding it and filling that gap and admitting that I wasn't good. Yeah. So that was a mouthful, but how does that sound? That sounds great. Appreciate your time, Brennan. It's just been walk down memory lane, man. Back back in the day, you know, when I got out of college around the same time you did, and the internet and the world was just totally different. I just, it's thank you, thank you, thank for, you, man. Uh, the, I feel like we got a good vibe and yeah, for sure, a lot of energy here. It's good to talk to someone who is can remember <laughs> HTML on uh, uh, in a note in a note. And a note. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. That's why I got gray in the beard as I always like to say. So stay safe, keep in touch. And, uh, thanks again for being on the show. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks Brandon for the awesome conversation. And I really appreciate all of your insights and just, boy, what a, what a ride and also awesome to reminisce about the good old days, (laughs) so to speak. Now as promised here are some actionable insights that I learned from my guest. Brandon says some of the best advice he received was just to get out of his own way and do it. He tends to overanalyze everything he says and recommends you just get started. And I totally agree with him. 
How many times as engineers, if you're an engineer, have you just sat there and polished and polished the turd, as we used to say, um, before it just pretty much, you're just never going to release it. So first with the worst is what Intel would say. So get your stuff out there. Rather than finding your passion, Brandon says, find something that you're good at and enjoy doing. And, you know, this is an interesting idea because sometimes passion or, or passion projects won't go anywhere and or, you know, you may just find it be, it's just kind of odd to try to make money off of it, you know. So that's actually really good advice. So th- think about those in both both kind of ways. He also recommends focusing your time and energy on what you do well and finding people who can do the other things you need done. You'll be more efficient when you're not wasting time trying to do the things that you're just not suited for. And this is actually something that I take uh, to heart. Um, You know, you have to, as an entrepreneur, learn a little bit about everything. uh, But sometimes you just got to go hire smarter people than you to go do the things that you just shouldn't be doing. Or, you know, the things that only you can do is what I always say. It's like, well, I can only do this, so I got to go get some people that can do something else. So there you have it. Some actionable insights I learned from my awesome interview with Brandon. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur and, frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better.